Hey everybody, welcome to Between the Sheets. This is Gayanne. How are you? Merry early Christmas. It's our Christmas show, not really, but it's close to Christmas, so hence our Christmas show. Yeah, wait a minute. Red lipstick. That's all. Red got. lipstick. Yeah. I've got. That's all. That, well, and I've got. You know, well, I'm, I'm showing cleavage. cleavage tonight. That's good. I'm showing that's cleavage not Christmas. Tonight. No, it's my Hugh Hefner pajamas uh, look. You know okay. what I mean? Um, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Um, chestnuts. Chestnuts. Um, <laughs> so we today's guest. I'm not can introduce her yet so we'll go around the table um, for our special Christmas show we have our elf on the shelf <laughs> Cara Noble today yes. we have Mara Shane hello Delisha Naomi that's a super. super that is so super super, super good we have yeah. Cheryl Murphy <laughs> hello everyone and in the house tonight we have one of our new rotating uh, guest hosts Valerie Milano um, she'll tell you just a brief little bit about herself right now before we introduce our uh, guest and thank you Tony Tony happy belated birthday and yeah, um, Brazil nice seemed very back. lovely on your Facebook page <laughs> so let's introduce Valerie Milano. Valerie, just let us. I've known you for a very long time. No, not really. Well, I mean, we've no. kind of known each other. Facebook is great. Facebook is great. Yeah. We actually work in the same industry. I don't know why I never ran about or through you. Not through you. I can't go through you. Well, but then I can walk on water, so I guess I could go through you. Um, but we've known each other in Facebook land and then have parallel careers. What uh, do you do for a living? I am an entertainment reporter, and uh, Gayanne and I know each other from the TCA, which stands for the Television Critics Association. It's a press tour that uh, comes in and out of Los Angeles, uh, twice a year every january mm -hmm. summer and winter press tour so um and then i saw you running through the <laughs> the, the hotel the beverly hilton uh, <laughs> recently and i went is that the same gay hand mm -hmm. yes and i am and i, I, I am everywhere or something yeah, i'm everywhere worked out great you know that so. oh shit oh my god this is pretty cool on the phone let's just shut this down okay I was trying to see what we were seeing. Um, but so thank you for joining yes. us and welcome to the Between the Sheets Harem. Um, my, um, pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> so all the way from Portland, well, let's start this. We had a show, um, and I lovingly call it um, the N-word. Um, it was an interesting show. It was about narcissism. And, you know, Liz, who is the author of the book, this never happened, a memoir, and she's our uh, guest tonight. But she called in. And she gave us some insight about narcissism. And, you know, it was a very passionate show. Um, most of us dumped our guts out on the table. And I realized we needed to have another show because it really didn't address narcissism, the types of narcissism. I mean, the clinical, and Liz is a psychologist. So, you know, what are the signs of narcissism? What if someone is in a narcissistic relationship? How can they cope? What are the coping mechanisms? How can they get out? Um, like I said earlier, and I was talking to Mara about this, everyone always says no contact. Well, if you think you're in love with someone, um, that's quite frankly, how is it going to happen? I mean, what's no contact? Move to another country? But when you still have feelings for someone, it's navigating through those feelings and navigating Seriously, besides therapy, mm -hmm. how to um, get out of it or after. Usually people are so traumatized and decimated. Obviously, trust is a huge issue after that. So I'd like to talk to Liz about her book 
as well as to go through sort of more of a clinical sense and a psychological sense. That doesn't make sense. Ah, sense too many times. <laughs> but um, more on a clinical level, how to address these. So if people are listening, and I know that that show, the numbers just skyrocketed. Rocketed, mm -hmm. But, you know, I think this time we really need to give insight. And, um, and now I would love to introduce Liz Scott. Hi, Diane. It's great to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to be with you. And let's start quickly and briefly. Um, you're in Portland. Um, I am. You're born and raised there? No, I was born and raised in New York City. I mean, I was born in New York City. I still think of it as my home. I grew up in a sort of commuter town to New York City in Connecticut. I moved there when I was about six. And, and I've been in Portland for about 20 years, I guess. Okay, I love Portland, but I'm curious. Why did you choose Portland? Uh, <laughs> it was a man. Oh. I have no idea where he is now. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it got me to Portland, and I love it, too. And, you're, and um, you're a psychologist, correct? I am. I am. And what is your main um, focus yeah, so um, I've been in private practice for um, Gulp about 40 years, and um, uh, well, I mean, I see people like us. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, adults who are uh, navigating difficult relationships and depression and anxiety and loss and grief, and I, I do see a fair amount of couples as well, um, but it's an adult practice. I love, I love, love, love my clients. I love them. They're amazing, fantastic people, all very interested in doing hard work. And uh, it's it's a real privilege, I have to say. I'm never going to retire. Well, that's good, because you're only 30. You've got at least... Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm only 30. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. So about your book, This Never Happened, a memoir, obviously. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, this is you. This is about you. Um, when, how did you decide, you know, I need to write a book? Yeah. Um, you know, I, my whole life I told stories about my mother and always got, you know, flabbergasted responses and they're just, I always won the prize for the, for the craziest stories. And I would typically have people say, oh, you need to write this, you need to write this. But I spent my life trying to not be my mother and um, she was a writer. And she, uh, she wanted nothing more than to be a famous writer. So the idea of being a writer was sort of, I had a phobic reaction to that. So um, it, truly it wasn't until after she died that I felt like there was kind of, um, those of you who have relationships with people like this in your life will understand what I mean by, there was so much noise in my head that I couldn't, there was not enough clear space to even begin to think about this. Mm. And um, she died in 2005. Um, I started uh, thinking about seriously about it maybe five or six years after that and where I wasn't able to get enough narrative distance, I would say, from the craziness. Mm. So the book is not like a real book. I mean, it's a book, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's not written like you would think a memoir or... Um, yeah. or, or just it's not really as structured as such. So it, it seems more stream of consciousness and, and some, as Cara pointed out, like some chapters are like just one page. And yeah. um, how did and you... Like a mystery. Like a mystery, exactly. So how did you decide yeah. how to do the format of the book? 
Well, um, first of all, two things. I have a really bad memory and I have a very short attention span. <laughs> Welcome so, to menopause and ADHD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and oh and being old. And You're being not old. old. Stop. Not, oh my god. Do not judge oh yourself. We do not talk about being old except All for right. me. But other right. than that, we are doing Okay. So um I, I what I would do is I would and also I think the way memory works, the memory doesn't work in a linear way for any of us, right? We we just pop back and forth in time with our mm -hmm. memories. Mm -hmm. And so when something would come to me, I would write what would, would turn out to be a chapter and never think, I w didn't think about the order I would put them in at first. I would just write what came to me. And then I had what amounted to like 70 something, I guess you call them chapters, but don't worry readers, some of them are like one word. And then I had the the, uh, the uh, task of trying to order them, which was an interesting, um, it was an interesting undertaking. So how did you order them? What was your yeah. thought process behind it? So I, I, first of all, I put them on index cards. I'm a big believer in index cards, by the way. I think they're awesome. And I, I put the chapter name on each index card mm -hmm. and I laid them across my living room floor and I just kept shifting them around. And my book doesn't really have a, narrative arc but what i wanted was an emotional arc mm. and um so i i knew when i wrote the chapter that would be the end i knew that i wanted to land there and so i sort of tried to think about the emotional journey that would end up in that place mm -hmm. it was it was really interesting it was a very interesting process anybody else can ask questions why, why, <laughs> why 2019 why did you decide to do the book this year any particular reason um, <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I think it's very apropos because we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of, uh, narcissism in the news, don't we? No, but it was just when I finished it and when I could get it published. So do you feel like you took a risk going back in time like that into your past? Um, you know, as far as your reputation or, or uh -huh. the people that you didn't really know that you don't really know yet? Well, I mean, I, I didn't feel like I took a risk with people I don't know. The, the only risk I felt I took was with my clients. Yeah. Because I'm pretty, I really am pretty bald in this book about myself. I mean, I really kind of throw myself under the bus and I'm very um, revealing. And I've had some really interesting feedback. I mean, I certainly didn't tell clients I wrote a book, but they discovered it. Like my name was up on the marquee at Powell's and it was on the <laughs> recommended table there. And so some clients discovered that I wrote a book and there was one person that had a hard time with it because um, in his words, he said, um, I thought you were evolved and he was, very disappointed to find out that I was merely a human being. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gosh, Which that's... was really interesting. It was a really interesting session. I mean, I, I don't know if any of you, you're all way too young for this, but there was a book in the seventies that was called, um, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Hmm. And it, it was really about not how dangerous it is to put, put your therapist on a pedestal as if they're some superhuman person. We're, we're not. We just have a certain skill set, right? So it was an interesting conversation to have with him. But I didn't, I didn't feel like I was really taking a risk in general because I 
really believe the truth sets us free. Mm -hmm. I, I really, truly, deeply believe that. So, Liz, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. I'm of the theory. Yes. yes. <laughs> so prove me wrong. Okay. That most people who are therapists, they usually have issues that they're trying to work through in their lives, and therefore that's why they become a therapist. She said that in the book. True. She true, said, well, how true, can I true, be a true, therapist? True, true, true. I didn't read the book, God know, damn it. She knows that. <laughs> you know I don't read the book. I like to do organic stuff. I could really feel for you at that moment when you said, oh, my God, how could I be giving these people advice? And I'm so <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, really. I mean, it's so, so true. I mean, this is what brings us all into this field, I think. We, we're trying to sort out our own mysteries and issues for sure. Yeah. So the thing with your mom, um, your dad also played somewhat of a role in this lovely life of yours. Yeah. Um, give, me a, give me like a typical story of your mom. Like what, <laughs> like what, like did you cringe about? Just. Okay, so um, I, I am a total movie freak. I, I love movies. I, I passionately, I go two or three times a week. So. Um, uh, Senior maybe... discount? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Five dollar Tuesday. <laughs> and in Portland, don't they have booze at the theaters? They do. I <laughs> Come on. Um, so uh, several years ago, maybe 20 years ago, uh, yeah, I'd say, um, somebody I know was won an Academy Award, and she was allowed to bring somebody to the Oscars, and I got to go with her. So this was like, I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how excited I was. I, I did everything in preparation. I lost all this weight. I got my hair cut. I did everything. And I get to the place. I'm all in my red slinky dress with my chandelier earrings and my stilettos and ready to go, ready to step out the door. And I, my phone rings. And it is um, the hospital where my mother is. And she's saying, the, the nurse is telling me, your mother is in very bad shape. She's calling for you. She doesn't think she's going to make it. You need to get here. Oh, wow. I, I, I was in L.A. and my mother was in San Francisco. Oh. So I threw all my stuff in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, took a, I took a taxi. I got, to, I got to LAX. I got to San Francisco. I ran down the hall to the, her room where she was sitting propped up in bed with the, the Oscars on the TV watching. Oh, wow. And she was, she was like, oh, Liz, look, I just saw, I think I saw you on the red carpet. And she was all excited. And I was telling everybody that's my daughter on the red carpet. And uh, so, yeah. like, wow. no. <laughs> that was really. You didn't perhaps. get to the red carpet either. You yeah. just went straight no, to the airport. No. She got to the hotel oh, and then back God. to the airport. How yeah, no, but she kind of wanted, that's... she wanted me to be there, mm. uh, be at the hospital, and also have credit for her daughter being on the red carpet. You know, she wanted both. She sounds like Marie from um, Everybody Loves Raymond. Do you ever watch Everybody Loves Raymond? Oh, I haven't seen it, no. Oh, well. Is that Most of you that, that like know that? that show. Because it's all about her. Yes, yes, yes yeah. exactly. It's exactly. all about her. Exactly. But like, what kooky things did she tell you? That's just fucked up. I mean, that oh, really well, is not a cool thing. No, she's, she, um, I have a, a chapter in the book where we were, we were shopping at Macy's and she was, putting like a silver ladle in her purse she stole stuff and then she would 
bring it back and say she got it as a gift and she got a store credit for it. Oh, wow. And you were like her kind of beard because you were her kid. And so she, I'm assuming that she kind of used you as bait. She could hide yeah. behind you and steal stuff. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. And she would, I mean, she was just like, so I used to, she, she was terrible at giving presents. Like I would get, now look at me, I'm in all black. This is me. I've even got black nail polish on. Nice. Anybody that knows me knows that this is who I am. Goth-like. Anybody that knows me. Goth-like. Yeah. Yeah. And she would give me like a, 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 a secondhand Laura Ashley shirt, you know, with little roses and pink, you know, that <laughs> yeah. had yeah. stains on it. And, oh, no. you know, just it was terrible. I mean, she was just really, really. How did you turn out? Well, I know you're not normal, but how did you turn <laughs> out as normal as you did? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I took, I, I, very, very early on, I knew that I was in a kind of crazy family. And I had um, my best friend, who, who was my best friend since the first day of kindergarten, lived across the street from me. She also had a very fucked up family. And we glommed on to each other. We were like an undifferentiated unit until all the way through high school. And I think we really grew each other up. Mm-hmm. And, um, we lived in a very crazy environment, a lot of privilege, a lot of terrible fucked up families and um, a lot of alcoholism and wife swapping. It was very ice storm, if you remember that kind of stuff. So it was um, I think we really I, I credit her and I, I went back to Connecticut on book tour and um, stayed with her. And we talked about that a lot, that we do credit each other for whatever um, sanity we've been able to construct from those childhoods. So you were yeah. each other's therapist in a way. We were. You were we were. We, were most... we told each other everything, and um, we, you know, we confided in each other and consoled each other. Mm-hmm. And how would people? Was, how would yeah. people describe you, Liz? How would your friends <laughs> and your family describe you? Oh, what a good question. Um, uh, let's see. I think they would say I am. Compassionate, um, probably. You're, you must yes. have a heightened level of compassion, I have to tell you. A lot I of think, sensitivity. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, I'm fear, I'm, I love my friends. I'm supportive of my friends. Um, I think they would say I'm smart and funny. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they'd say I'm a really good entertainer. Um, that's one. That's a wonderful thing I learned from my mother. Yeah. But isn't it true, like, when you have trauma <laughs> and other things... I mean, humor. It, it's yes. Hu- yes. truly humor. Yes. I mean, I haven't had a lot of trauma, but I'm just funny. But it's more mm-hmm. internal trauma than trauma from an external source. Yeah, yeah. It's that overthinking mind that just doesn't yeah. stop that, you know, you tend to, you know, really pivot yourself as to being something. So yeah. you're so it's this constant like noise in your head which yeah. makes me funny um because mm-hmm. no one wants to be in my head no, no. <laughs> no one trust me um not even my therapist wants to be in my head you're like uh because we'll sit, i mean seriously i'll pay 300 for a therapy session and she'll like talk a little bit but i'm talking the whole thing out yeah. and Good. she's and she's like, I don't know why you even come to me. You 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 come to your own answers. I said, Well, because I just need that um, yes. validation. Right. I need someone to tell me that what's in my head 
as I go through that thought process that I'm not like a sociopath or something, you know? Yes, I like and, and to ha- verbalize. Having a witness, having a witness too, Gay Ann, having a witness. So it's very different. First of all, turning stuff around in our head is one thing. Even saying it out loud if you're by yourself is another thing. But saying it, having a witness is very, very, very powerful. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, it's okay. And I just said the same thing. I I, I also like to run through every possible angle of something. Mm -hmm. So I I verbalize. And sometimes it can come out angry or whatever. But if if it's inside, it's kind of got to come out. It does. Um, It does. It does. It either comes out directly or indirectly. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it either well, comes out directly or it seeps out. Or it's cancer. And it will come out yeah, right. one way or Because cancer. everything is cancer. And if you look on the internet for anything, yeah. it, it always says cancer. I know. It could be, a, it could be like a freckle, cancer. It could be a cough, cancer. You hear the one about cereal, like causing all the cereals? Oh, the cereal yeah. causing cancer. Oh. So we've got, you know, everything's so just up on them. cancer. Um, but so they're not expressing yourself. They say yes. it causes cancer. Oh, they say that. I, I believe yes. that's true. Well, I think, that's I mean, scary. I think anything that's stressful or if you bottle things inside, I think diseases, I think, I, I do mm-hmm. think people with a lot of diseases and stuff like that are because they do bottle things up inside and, or they're under stressful circumstances. Mm-hmm. And there are people that don't think they need therapy. Um, you well, know, that's fine. You know, I, I, it's, it's okay. I don't know? think therapy is necessarily always the answer for everybody either. So I am somebody who comes from a lot of trauma and, mm-hmm. and regular talking therapy is not, does not do it for me. I need to do al- alternative things. But mm-hmm. what I wanted to say is that the, the title of your book is amazing. Um, oh, and I you. think it's very, very pertinent to today's day and age with mm-hmm. all of the mental health issues that we have in this country, we need to start talking about this stuff. And the title of your book, This Never Happened, is like what America does when it comes to mental health, they turn a blind eye. And not just mental health, that this is mental health, but also like pedophilia. That Mm -hmm. also is a mental health issue that needs to be talked about in this country. And the mental health issues need to be dealt with in this country so that these mass shootings stop happening. So that the pedophile in like middle America where people are being sold to their church members, their little girls, like it's not okay, you know? And and we need to start talking about this stuff so that it starts changing. If we don't start talking about it, it's never going to change. And that... Well, the thing is mental illness is a dirty little secret in families and in stuff like that and you know you have especially in the royal family well yeah exactly (laughs) but you also have you know where no one where the healthcare system sucks anyway (laughs) so you know then you have people (laughs) that are disenfranchised and have mental health issues where do they end up on the streets or in jail because the the, we the system at least in the united states i can't Mm -hmm. speak outside is not equipped to handle this Mm -hmm. and uh, you know and it, it's just, what do you think? I mean, Liz, what, I mean, like. Oh, don't get me started. I mean, there's just still so much stigma around mental health, mental illness, mental health, any kind of issue, psychological issues. There's still so much stigma about it. And even if you have health, decent health insurance, um, it's almost like, men, you know, your mental health is not part of your body. Correct. So it's not, you know, most people so don't true. even have any coverage for it or they've got very minimal coverage. Yet you get to see, five, you know, you get five sessions or some weird thing like that. So there's a very um, it shoved over to the corner, like, you know, a mm-hmm. ugly stepchild uh, attitude towards uh, treating these kinds of issues. It's really disturbing. I don't, we need to get more enlightened about this. It's really something. Did, really, did you find writing the book therapeutic at all? And 
Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's very, very interesting, that question, because um, I had a, my wonderful, wonderful writing teacher used to say, especially when you're writing something like memoir, that you need to have enough narrative distance from your subject matter so that it doesn't sound like a diary entry, like, oh, he dumped me and I'm so sad. Um, you know, so it, it, so you can have enough objectivity about it. So I, I, I did not write this with the intention of its being cathartic. And um, I'd done a lot of my own therapy, certainly talked about this stuff over and over and over again with friends and done a lot, a lot of work on it myself. So, um, so I did not intend for this to be catharsis. At the same time, I was, it surprised me that at the end of the book, I felt that some things had shifted in me. Can you hear my cat? Yes. I was wondering what that was. (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure you're not a lesbian? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Okay. (laughs) You're almost outnumbered on this show. (laughs) (laughs) You drive a pickup truck. He'd be all over me. He's very. He always wants to be where I am. No. No. Just forget I said that. Don't forget. So, but anyway, I was, I was, it surprised me that, that some things, uh, some, something shifted in me when I got to the end. So I wouldn't exactly call it catharsis, but it changed me writing. It changed me. Do you have it any advice nice. for other people out there who are thinking about writing a book about their life and other people have told them all of their life that they need to do that and how to get started? <laughs> I do. Is that you? I, that is me. I, yes. That's me too. Uh, is that you too? Yeah. Oh dear Jesus, these oh, yeah. fucking shameless plugs. But before we, <laughs> before you answer that, since I realized I didn't do it, because I think this is a really, we've got another hour for the show. I think it's really important because um, we want all of you to participate in this show. Please call us. It's live. 323-524-2599. That's 323-524-2599. Two five nine nine. Now you can answer. Um, yeah, my advice is do it. Um, write it. And um, so I can't remember who said this. It was a famous writer said, um, you know, pity the family who has a writer in the family. You know? Oh, that was me. Okay. <laughs> Mr. T. <laughs> I think you have to. I, so I, I put a sticky on my uh, post-it note on my uh, computer when I was writing and it said, be brave. Mm-hmm. So um, I see no reason to do a project like this unless you're going to really go there mm-hmm. and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and really, you know, be as honest as you can about yourself and about the other people that you're dealing with, it's going to probably piss off some people mm-hmm. in your family. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're, if you intend to put it out in the world, then you have to be prepared for that. And then right. it's your truth. You know, this is your it truth is. and nobody can say this never happened. At least you, you have it out there in black and white on in print and it's your, it's your truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody, of course, everybody has their own story in a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's story, even if you're a close sibling, your experience will be different. Mm-hmm. Has your family read it? Has anyone? Well, all, I, so I have one sister. I've got two grown, elderly daughters. <laughs> and, um, they, and I actually have a 12-year-old grandson who read it. Um, and my two daughters, and um, that's my family. Well, I have a, it, this is a long, long story, but I have a cousin that I just discovered. Oh, very cool. Read it. 
yeah, it was very, very, very cool. Nice. Um, and, um, you know, my sister and I have gone through some, um, we've, we're na navigating some challenging waters around this. And um, we're, we're not through to the other side of it, yeah. of that yet. You but, know, what's um, interesting that you say that. I, I just recently did a trauma workshop in Massachusetts um, based on this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I love that book. It's fantastic, right? I and love that and book. Bessel was the one who was doing the workshop. Um, but it was really interesting to me that a lot of these other people who had massive trauma in their life, like I did, um, and they had siblings they were all very jealous because my brother and I are super, super tight. Like, he's my mm -hmm. best friend, you know? I talk to him almost every day, and it's wow. like, we weren't always like that. It took us a really long time to get there, but we had this traumatic event together, and our lives mm -hmm. took a separate direction. But it was really interesting to see, like, I guess that, like, siblings, that's a normal thing for when there's a lot of trauma. Like, siblings have a hard time coming back together and I feel super blessed and lucky and I don't know well I think are. you just have to work on it mm -hmm. yeah I think you just do and and you and your brother found the time yeah and you know because no one can no one can live the experiences that you both did so that's really cool so I see that a lot of us are kind of skirting the issue because no one wants to talk about it I want <laughs> narcissist <laughs> I'm yeah. saying the n-word um what is the clinical definition of a narcissist okay so I, i'm going to read you the criteria okay from the dsm oh, wow. oh, oh, that's awesome. right? okay. oh it's a real book go ahead yeah. do we have to go <laughs> ding for each one okay. to recognize um this is uh, okay uh, this is a, for a narcissistic personality disorder which is a particular thing right it's a diagnosis right. a pervasive pattern of grandiosity and fantasy or behavior need for admiration and lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present in variety of contexts as indicated by the following, grandiose sense of self-importance, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, believes that he or she is special and unique, requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement, is interpersonally explo exploitative, lacks empathy, and is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her and shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Now, what if somebody only has a few of those? Like, do you only have to have like three out of 10? to Five. Be okay. Five. You need five. five. <laughs> you need take five to back. qualify. Now, you know, <laughs> there is not narcissist. <laughs> So you got the five. That's the clinical, okay? Yeah, that's the clinical diagnosis. You know, and on the other show, you know, words and, and phrases like love bombing, yeah. um, gaslighting. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, so okay, so someone just said, what's a love bomb? So can you take <laughs> us through those lovely um, phrases? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, love bombing is when somebody comes at you with like, oh, you're so wonderful and I'm sending you flowers and you're the most amazing person in the world. And I'm, I'm you know, here's a, you're, here's 10,000 gifts I'm leaving at your doorstep and just comes on really, really strong with and all this. And you're my soulmate. Yes. And we have <laughs> right, so much exactly. in common well, and you're well, the best right, thing exactly. that's ever happened exactly. to me. Just yeah. comes on super, super strong with all this uh, supposedly positive um, affection toward you and fast right it doesn't just gradually happen and they well and it's in the context of behaviors that contradict th that, those feelings too oh. you know so give so, us an example uh, yeah. so oh i love you i love you i love you here's flowers i love you and love then you. And, 
And then the next day they're, they're, they're criticizing you, you know, being disdainful, mm -hmm. uh, you know, telling you you're, you know, crazy and. Which goes into gaslighting. Yes, it does. It does go into gaslighting. It's very similar because um, gaslighting is a maneuver to really, um, the result of that is that the per you end up feeling like you can't trust your own perception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like um, uh, somebody will say, I hate, when I hate when you did that to me. And they'll say, well, I didn't do that. You're just being sensitive. That never happened. That never happened. So you start doubting your own sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's yeah. very crazy making and it's very mm -hmm. very destructive. Now, um, a narcissist are they? Do, obviously, they tend to be controlling. Yes. Manipulative. Manipulative. Um, Self-serving. Self-serving. Yeah. I mean, besides the love bomb and the gaslight that goes thrown around, are there other techniques that they use? Well, look. I mean, I think. Let's back up a little bit. I mean, I think what you're dealing with, especially with somebody that's got a real clinical diagnosis, and I want to, you know, make that distinction between that and just somebody that's got narcissistic traits. But um, you're talking about people that have a really empty core, mm -hmm. right? And so every interaction, every relationship is based on trying to fill up this emptiness, and they need to, and so you as the other person in the relationship do not really exist mm -hmm. except to the extent that you reflect on that person and can help them feel better about themselves. So like my mother used to want to drag me out to, you know, when her friends were over to play the piano and uh, she wasn't really, what she was interested in was getting, having people be impressed that her daughter could play the piano. Yes. That's what she was interested in. So you were her supply. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But right. and I'm sorry to play devil's advocate, but how yeah. is that necessarily a bad thing? If your mother is proud of you for being able to play the piano and she wants to show you off, is that... Well, really she's not bad? trying to show you off. She is jumping on to capitalize on that credit. Like, well, I'm the mother of, correct? Yeah. Well, and here's the difference. I mean, uh, my mother never wanted to listen to me play the piano when there weren't people around. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Super self-serving. So the thing yeah. is, but can a narcissist mm. come in for example, and like act so loving and caring and then, you know, and then manip and then they manipulate, but can they manipulate in ways of quote unquote, a loving way, but yet it's still manipulation and control? Or is it really that dichotomy of I love you and you're crazy. You're the crazy one. I mean, is it like, um, what is it? A, a sheep and a, a wolf in a sheep's clothing. Does it yeah. sometimes come in that respect? Well, sure, because, you know, people can um, perform behaviors, mm -hmm. you know, you can perform loving behaviors, but it depends on what you mean by loving, mm -hmm. you know, because I, to me, a truly loving person mm -hmm. is interested in the other, is empathic with the other, is uh, you know willing to put their own needs aside for the other, and so you can tell ultimately when somebody is just performing behaviors. Mm -hmm. If it's not congruent, you know you can just feel that something's not quite right. That's pretty hard when you're in a relationship that you actually tell. I think it's what you were saying Same. earlier. But the thing yeah. is, I mean, does the narcissist try and develop a codependent relationship? Yes, well, it's called trauma yeah. bonding. Huh. 
yeah, yeah, trauma bonding. I mean, they uh, I, because it's real. There's really an empty core there. A narcissistic personality disorder needs others to reflect on them, so they feel they've got such fragile egos. Mm -hmm. It's so completely fragile as their egos are that they need others to make them feel like they're worthy. Actually, not that they would be aware of that. That's an unconscious process. Mm -hmm. That's another one of my questions is that um, like some narcissists or people that have that trait, a lot of those traits, it always stuns me when they talk about themselves in this grandiose way. And I feel like, do they hear, A, do they hear themselves and B, do they really believe this, this, that they're, you know, when they mm -hmm. see these yeah. ridiculous things, do they really believe it? Or are yeah. they saying it because they want to believe it because they feel so insecure? I, I don't understand if they're delusional or what. Well, it is a kind of delusion. I mean, look, I hate to, I hate to say this, but look at our president. Oh, so it's okay. It's okay. I have to say it. You know, it's, 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 it's all this, all this ridiculous mm -hmm. pumping of himself up and you can just see how, how thin skinned he is and how anything that challenges these delusions he has about himself are so threatening to him. It's, it's, that's so just a, they are delusional. They are delusional. Yeah. They do believe this stuff. Yes. Yes. But well, we or they're trying. Unique? They're trying to believe it. I don't understand that 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 one um, line of them being of people thinking that they're unique because we are <laughs> all unique. We well, are. do they mean they must mean? Well, like, they feel that they're superior. Treatment. Yeah. Superior. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> As opposed to unique, they're superior. Is that correct? Liz? Yes. Better. I'm better than other people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Liz, do you have many clients that? are narcissists like would they go see a therapist or they would never see a therapist right they would never they would usually not see a therapist and second of all I would not be the therapist that would want uh, to have them so yeah. I can I can often tell on, on the phone when somebody's trying to set up an appointment if it's somebody that's in this kind of cluster of personality disorders, I would be the exact wrong therapist. I would, wow. I do not have the skill, the patience, the desire, the mm -hmm. training, nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the wrong person to mm -hmm. be dealing but with people like that. Nobody can but, help a narcissist, right? So yeah, like, yeah, it, typically not. Yeah, no. I mean, because it's ingrained since childbirth. Yes, exactly. It's their, it's, it's their DNA. It's in their in it. kind of DNA, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it's no. a personality disorder, one of the features of any personality disorder is that it's a lifelong pattern of maladaptive behavior. Okay. And so the best you can do is manage. And um, So how does a narcissist manage? I mean, you can't give them a drug. It'd be nice. No, yeah. it's more about the people around yeah, you. Yeah, it's about the people around <laughs> yeah. the narcissist. Speaking yeah. of drugs, since you're a therapist, what what do you think about ketamine and people who are narcissists? <laughs> What's ketamine, Delisha? Yeah, I just actually had a client who, um, she, I haven't seen her since she did this, but she's just um, finished a trial of uh, ketamine for her depression. You know, I'm a psychologist, so I can't prescribe medication at all. Um mm -hmm. But I'm really interested in the use of these psychedelics for depression. And um, isn't it something right. like a horse tranquilizer? No, 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 no. <laughs> it actually just—it just, just, just didn't. Hey. It just got legalized for uh, depression, use oh, okay. of depression. And actually, when I was in Sedona, there was—it was crazy. It was a kiosk that had like yoga and nail polish. Ketamine. You're kidding. No, I had to take a picture of it. I had to pull over and take a picture. I was like, what? So wait, this That's is a, amazing. Wait, which one's the date rape drug? 
That's not ketamine. Oh, okay. That's not ketamine. Oh, okay. Ketamine's been being used since the early 70s, I think. Is it a psychedelic or whatever? It's a psychedelic. And I mean, I don't know if any of you have read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, but he did some really very interesting experiments and research into the use of psychedelics for people that have had chronic unremitting depression mm. or PTSD with just astonishing results, right. really astonishing results. Definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's definitely it. done. It's, it's the right. But besides drugs, I mean, when you treat yeah. your clients, because yeah. you're kind of hippy-dippy, I know you are, um, <laughs> which is cool. I love it. We So are we. But I mean, um, meditation. I mean, do you like, besides the therapy session and like read this book, um, meditation and stuff, like do you know who Dr. Joe Dispenza is? I don't. Okay, he's, he's really cool. A friend of mine turned me on to him and his books, mm-hmm. and he's got a show on Gaia called Rewired. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, cool. you know, my mind doesn't stop. And I have, it's like, I can't meditate. You know, I, I can't I meditate know. in the way meditation is. Mm-hmm. But the way he breaks it down, because he's also, he's a chiropractor, so he mm-hmm. talks about the physiology and stuff, and there's a 13-part series, and he's not even paying me to say this, but <laughs> it is, you know, it's an amazing, it's a good series, and I've been I've been watching it, and I've had to repeat them to it. Do you know what I'm talking I about, Cheryl? I do, I do know Dr. Joe Dispenza, yeah, very uh-huh. well. Changing your belief, changing your mind, changing your DNA. Uh, but through healing themselves, healing right. themselves, right? Is this through drugs or what, no, no, no? Um, it's it's your it's your own body. You know, it's like you you it's you change your thought pattern. Mm-hmm. You change. You know, it's not about being a vegetarian. It's change. You have the power within you mm-hmm. to heal yourself. Absolutely. To, and that's not only you know the physicality of it, but it's also the self the subconscious the just. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I would advocate mm. it. Yes, I yeah. would encourage people to look do- up Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm. Yeah, he does work a lot with the subconscious, changing your, changing your thoughts, uh, yeah. will change your behavior, changing your belief system. I mean, the miraculous healings have taken wow. place. Wow. Like he was taught, like one of the chapters, so I did the, the me- she told me to do the meditation one, so I did it two times. And then when I called her, she goes, okay, now you got to practice it. I'm like, hold on, I still don't get it. I still got to watch <laughs> it more, you know? Yeah. I'm getting there. But then, I mean, I was like just scrolling through and then they were talking about the pineal gland right um uh, you know and that and what that does and it's really a fascinating 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 series it's on Gaia right now it's called rewired please do I mean I don't have the patience to read um although I have read two books lately um one is called the message which is an amazing book um and another one, again, my friend keeps, you know, remind, keeps suggesting things to me to sort of get calm. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm not calm, but I'm not calm. But I mean, like, kind of, sort of, like, <laughs> balanced, focused. And the other one is the ta- the uh, Tao sobriety, and um, and I keep I kept saying to her, but I'm not an alcoholic, so now I call it the alcoholic book. But. <laughs> It is strictly how to deal with abuses and and, and and just abuses, but also like it opens up your mind because it's a, it talks about the Zen, it talks about the Eastern philosophy, mm-hmm. and even though the stories in it are about you know Bob was an alcoholic, Joe was a meth addict, but the way that they go about and present it in each chapter, and then there's the middle. So I do encourage everyone mm-hmm. to sort of look those up because I'm oh, not well. a reader. 
I am not mm. a reader. I, I I read like this. Oh, you read the book? Can you no. tell me about it? Yeah, um, that's right. how I read, uh, especially <laughs> when notes. there's no cliff notes or monarchs right. anymore. It's like, okay, tell me, or a movie, yeah, yeah, or it's right. like, oh yeah, did you read the book? No, but I saw the movie. <laughs> that was me in you know? high school. But exactly, me All too. Throughout high school. So I mean, I think really right now, I think people have to get to the self and the core, um, and you know, and to get grounded, and that goes even to deal with trauma. Because I was, again, having this conversation with someone. You know, trauma is subjective. You know, you, mm -hmm. Delicia, had major trauma. And it affected you. And, and if, it, if that affected any one of us, we'd be in that same position. But, you know, like I was raped. And, I, you know, it, for me at the time, it wasn't a trauma. You know, it, I, didn't, I didn't allow it to be a trauma. I said, okay, this happened. This is part of my journey. Um, and instead of being victim to it, you know, I said, I didn't have any control. I didn't. And that's what they teach. That's what they're teaching me in all of these trauma things is basically bringing your central nervous system back to the present and mm. to know that, like, you can't change the past, that mm. it happened, but that you can know that you that's in the past and mm -hmm. you're here now. But that's and the thing. It's the, the present. And I think mm -hmm. all of us, you know, and Eckhart Tolle, whether you're a believer mm -hmm. in him or not, oh, I, I mean, him. he was strictly talking about the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you sit there and you go, okay, I'm in the present, but how the fuck do I get in the present? How do I quiet my mind? How do I put aside the past that actually is governing how my behavior is now, which is where Dr. Joe comes in, because he tells you to, you can literally have the power to rewire everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a caller. Could you mind, Liz? We have a caller. No, great. Hi, welcome to Between the Sheets. Um, what's your name? My name is Tanya. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Do you have a question? No, this is Tanya Lemons. What's up? I'm calling to promote my show. Okay, I have one question. Hey, Tanya. Okay. Are you are you baked right now? Shit, of course. No, I'm actually working. I'm at a yes. high school do, yes. running the score clock, so I only have a few minutes. I'm not baked. Okay. Well, no, no, no. I talked to Tanya the other day. She goes, I'm going to call in, dude. I'm like, I'm like, but if you're baked, you better not. What's up, ladies? Hello, so Carl. Hey, Tanya, while you got on the line, I got, we got a few minutes. Why don't you quickly promote what's going on with the festival? Okay, yes. Uh, the Woman Power Tour, it's a nine-hour music and comedy show featuring all women performers, women fronts. Um, it takes place in San Marcos, Walnut Grove Park on February 1st. Tickets are on sale now. We have a four-play show on February 18th with half of the performers performing and there'll be a, an option to be able to buy tickets for both at a discount. Awesome. And that and one is two weeks before on January 18th, and that's they're both in San Diego, though. Okay, and where can where can people go buy and tickets? The, the website to get the tickets is www.thepowertour.live. www.thepowertour.live. We were just on Sheena Metal Experience last night. It was awesome, Jenny and I. We love Sheena. Nice. I'll call you, not tonight, but I'll call you this <laughs> weekend. I want to hear how the Sheena show went. Okay, good. I look forward to hearing from you, Gay Ann. Bye, ladies. I'll talk Bye. to you guys later. Thanks for letting me call in. No, I, I can't control that, can I? Um. <laughs> can I just throw something in here for a second? Yeah. We know that Delisha had what Delisha's 
terrible trauma is, but I don't think Liz does, and maybe no. some oh. some people who are listening don't. Oh, you briefly. All, you only know one. Just tell her the br- tell her the big Give one. Give us the big one. Let's get the big one. There's a lot of big ones. No, the <laughs> I was kidnapped when I was four years old with my brother and taken to Baghdad for eleven and a half months and ripped away oh. from our mother. That's oh my right. Okay, that's one. All right, that's one. What's the next one? What's the yes. next one? My mother was murdered when I was thirty years old. That's the one. Oh, that, oh my goodness. I mean, there that there's a lot in between too. Oh, that's why right. everyone's like, you should write a book, but I'm like. But the thing is, you know, I mean, with writing a book, and, and Val and I are both in the in the creative field, as is Cara, um, it's kind of like, you know, art, and, and, and writing a book is art. Art is all subjective. There is no rules. You do what you do. Like, you know, you look at Liz's book, and, you know, you go, oh, this is not a novel. You know, this is not F. Scott Fitzgerald or whoever the fuck is, you know, whoever. It... It really has to be who you are. It has to be your personality. It has to reflect. If I ever wrote a book, and I will, and I'm an only child, so I only got really one person that needs to, like... Well, whatever, I won't say it. But, I mean, <laughs> one person, so there won't, there won't be anybody all pissed off or anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would write like E.E. E. Cummings. and all Because that's the way I think. <laughs> and E.E. E. Cummings is how I think. And people would go, what the fuck is this? But it'd be fun. But don't you <laughs> think, Val, that if you had to tell someone how to write a book, do you think there's a guide to that? Hell no. I wrote a Gwyneth Paltrow book about 20 years ago, which was mm-hmm. all the stuff that she was going through. And I don't think I could write another book. I just, wow. it took and everything out of And that wasn't even about you. Me. Right. And you know, on that note, yeah. have you ever had a narcissist on this show? And <laughs> would you like to have one on the show? <laughs> well, I have, believe it or not, Jonathan Asley, who was on the show, <laughs> called me, called me a narcissist. And oh. I have to thank Kara, who completely jumped down his throat. And she's like, she's anything but a narcissist. But yeah, I'd love to have a narcissist mm. on the show. Do you know someone? You know, after you talked to us, Liz, Liz about yeah. the definition, mm-hmm. I'm weeding a lot of people out that I thought <laughs> were narcissists. It's yeah. interesting. Well, I mean, I do think that I, I do think the term is thrown around pretty loosely. Yes. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I use a capital N or a small N. And uh, also we need to keep in mind that it's important for us to have a healthy degree of narcissism, all of us. That's important, too. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Because going in the opposite direction is not good either. And we all have a little bit of everything. Well, we have to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, do. but this is the extreme. I think the big part is, you know, everybody at this table has empathy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think the probably the key between narcissistic traits and narcissistic crazy is the lack of empathy. Yeah. That's yes, a big one. Definitely. That's a big one. That's a really, really big one. Well, and, and going back to the love bombing for a second, yeah. um, isn't, can't you have somebody who is just like over the moon, excited to be in love <laughs> and sending flowers and doing all that stuff and not a uh, person who's going to turn into a psycho yeah, narcissist sure. when they do it crazy. to get what they want from you? See, it's all that, about yeah. manipulation. Like I do that. Bond you. Look, at me when I'm in love. I do too, and people take it the wrong way. So I've I've learned to step back a little bit because people take it the wrong way. I'm not. I'm just a very giving me person. Too. I just want to give. That makes yeah. me happy. But you know what? You know? But but you know that guy. What's his name? Garrett Chapman. Chapman. The five languages of love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, mm-hmm. you know that. Some people call it trash, but it's true. And I don't, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go through them because I don't remember all of them. But I'm the giving one. 
You know, it's words of affirmation, you know, mm -hmm. like words of affirmation, giving, and I can't remember the rest. Acts but of service. Acts of service and stuff. But I think we all need a little bit of that from mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think this is my issue, because I never expect to receive. I give, mm -hmm. give, 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 and that's my love. That's my love. I love you, you get mm -hmm. flowers. I love mm -hmm. you, and I see something that I think you like, I'll buy. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not like I'm trying to get something in return, or even that I want it reciprocated. I think with But the, you do, though. But I don't. <laughs> but you do want it reciprocated. I would like a thank you. That. That's about all. I mean, to an, an acknowledgement. Yes. An acknowledgement for, oh, you know, thank you. But I don't expect a gift in return. But I also am not manipulating that person to get what I want by buying the gifts. But there's a mm -hmm. different mindset for us, but I think the person who's on the receiving end... If they've had past people right. do that to exactly. them, they are going to be suspicious of you. Exactly. Especially, also if it's just overkill. Like my personality mm. type, for instance, I like to go slow and I like to get mm -hmm. to know somebody. And if somebody's just throwing sh all that lavish, you know, attention at me, it would make me run. And lucky for but me, my ex actually told me that, like, yeah. it's too much for me. Yeah, I are like, whoa, but slow that's the down. thing. Yeah. But that's, and I'm like, okay. But yeah. that's the thing. I mean, that's where you have the communication. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sometimes go to, you know, and, and I have, and I'm slow in the roll. That's what I've learned. Slow the roll. Um, <laughs> is I like, I'm like, oh, I'm all in. I mean, I'm all in from the word go, you yeah. know? And that's just me. It's not necessarily healthy. Right. Not for them, but for me. For you. Yeah. It's not healthy for either of you. Correct. Right. Exactly. So it's sort of like yeah. that kind of thing. But I see what you're saying because, I mean, you're going down that list about love bombing. I'm like, Holy shit, I don't right? all these people don't fucking think I'm a narcissist, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Because I am so not. But the love you bombing of a narcissist. It's a, it's, a it's a manipulation right, yeah. when it's used that way. It's a manipulation. It's not yeah. an authentic. It's genuine. Genuine. I saw something I wanted and I bought it for you because I, mean, I love you. I mean, Liz, yeah. do narcissists use that guilt complex? Like, make you feel guilty about things? Well, that's another form of a manipulation and mm -hmm. if you just think there are so many ways to manipulate people mm -hmm. and 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 certainly that would be another one so liz, sure. liz how do we get out of it or how if we have a friend you know Ugh. that's in a relationship or i mean i know it must be the hardest thing to do right sometimes so it's, much. like you said I, I think the the answer is either no contact right but how do you tell someone who's actually in love you know, that it's that it's not healthy for them because, you know, you've seen them change. You know, I have a friend who's in a relationship like this right now. And, you know, there is a distance that we're I'm becoming with her, mm -hmm. even yeah. though we still love each other as friends. But there's a part where she's not listening, you know, because well, there's that. Well, I have a question. Devotion or dedication. Do you think Obsession? her being in a relationship with him, he's isolating you from her? Yes, I do. Isn't I she responsible? Is that a narcissist thing that they try and that isolate right? yes. everybody? That's yes. another manipulation. But right? she's also yeah, responsible borderline sociopath. for her yeah. own yeah. obsession yeah. and of her, you know, with him. But the thing is, Liz, because yeah. like, okay, so let's say people don't know because, again, mm -hmm. if I started gift pe gifting people, you know, <laughs> and I thought everybody was going to consider me a narcissist, no, you know no, what I mean? No. But what I'm saying is, so like, you start into a relationship and you think it's genuine because they're so cunning and they're so lovely and they're so. Oh, so funny and all that shit. So you're sucked in. You're in, okay? Once mm -hmm. you're in, mm -hmm. then over time, 
I mean, I mm-hmm. think it's slowly you'll start to see the red flags. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. at some point, it'll mm-hmm. be like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, when you're in there and you go, I have to get the hell the fuck out. Yep. How does one do that? <laughs> well, I think it makes it more difficult, too, because the other person always makes you feel like it's your fault. Yeah. But, but, just but, like you but said still, earlier. But still, there are people, and I know people that are in narcissist relationships mm-hmm. that have come out of it. And yeah. it's sort of like a, sli- a switch snaps, mm-hmm. whether it's three years, five years. But the thing is, when you realize it, yeah. how do you gradually step yeah. out of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... First is the awareness that it's toxic for you, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people, it takes a long time to get to that place where you're aware that where you really know that it's toxic for you, and that if you stay in it, you will, in, uh, you know, die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, your soul will mm-hmm. die because you feel suffocated, right? Well, there's no room for you. Yeah, there's there's no room for you. There's no and you room. You can't be yourself around. No, no, there's yeah. just no room. You, and you've given you yourself are, does away. not matter. You give yourself away and you give them first. Yes, yes. So first is the awareness that it's toxic. And then when you make the decision, I think that there are just some um, tactics to use because I think you're right. It's a gradual thing. And and I I kind of think about this as the same process of getting off of drugs or something Um, that the more contact you have with a person, the higher the level of the intoxicant is in your body and the harder it is to withdraw or the longer it will take to withdraw. So um, the even if you can't have no contact, the idea is to minimize your contact so that the level of the, you know, the attachment can decrease over time. So that's one, one strategy. And then I think that there are just other sort of mind mind tricks to do, which are things like, I mean, these might sound really, um, uh, I don't know, silly in some ways, but I, they work. Um, if you think about what you need to do is get enough distance, sort of psychological, emotional distance, so that you can, like, it's almost like you're watching a play, like, that person is a character in a play mm-hmm. and you are, your position is, Oh, wow. Look at that. That's really interesting. Mm. Instead of climbing up on the stage with them. Mm-hmm. So you're not a co-star you're, you're in the audience you're observing. observing. Yes. So, because what you want to do is create enough emotional distance. And here's another one that I like, and it's really, okay. Make them small. Make them small. See what I'm doing with my fingers? Yeah. Make them small. And because to the extent that they're large, they're taking up so much space in your head, Mm -hmm. in your heart, in your psychology, and you want to decrease that size. So, I mean, I just really even like doing this. (laughs) But I really do. Get a picture. I mean, think about them and just squeeze your fingers Usually I do this when I'm talking about a short dick man. I know, I I know, I know. You can do that too. Yeah, okay. you know, make them small. Make also, them small. But imagining them when they're like looking at them, but picturing them as a little kid, as a t- very small. Mm. Well, you know, that would probably That's create some else. empathy in you. Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I need empathy. Sometimes I need empathy to get detached yeah. enough, like, because yeah. I'm so angry, you know, and I'm so sure. panicked and just aggravated that I, it sure. would be good to feel a little empathy. So sure. I can. Well, look, sure. I just want to bring this up. I actually stumbled upon this on YouTube. 
um, and I sent it to a few friends who have dealt with narcissism. It's called it's a narcissistic abuse documentary, and it's on YouTube wow. for 2019. Surviving narcissists and so- sociopaths, oh. and it's some of those stories are like really heart wrenching, but freaking horrific. Really? I bet. But I have a question for you. So you're in this narcissist mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. And you're trying to pull away. And mm-hmm. they feel that you're pulling away. Yeah. So now they start to... Love bombing you again. No, or yes. not even. But sometimes it's love bombing, but sometimes it isn't love bombing. Sometimes it's the opposite of love bombing, mm-hmm. where they put you down, mm-hmm. where they guilt trip you, mm-hmm. where they... Um, oh, man. Where they just... Yeah, you feel like everything's your fault. Everything's mm-hmm. your fault. Yeah. Um, where they, you know... Um, Oh, I mean, it's it's just that that manipulation that that sure. kept in a suffocated box, and you're just like ah, and yet you know, then you have that night of crying, or I don't want to talk to you, or whatever, and then the next day is the I'm sorry, the I'm sorry, yeah. the love bombing. I didn't mean that. So yeah. you know, when you've gone through this history like this, and that's called trauma bonding. Trauma bonding, which right? which. Yeah. Which now goes into trauma. So once you break free, okay, you are out of the house, out of the relationship, out of the friendship, out of the whatever, okay? They try to come back. Mm-hmm. What's the tactic? Get a gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me, say, let, me, let me say something here. Um, I think when we're involved in relationships like that and we're being, you know, tossed around between love bombing and being criticized and back and forth, the, the common factor is that we are allowing that Mm -hmm. other person to decide our own value and worth. We Mm -hmm. are putting it in their hands. So they have all the control. We are saying, you get to decide how I feel about myself. And you get to decide what I do. You get yeah. to decide who I talk to. You get to decide yeah. where, I, whatever, whatever. Right. Instead, I, we I, learn I, to I, get I, a very high tolerance for abuse. Pardon me? We, we, we become, we get to a point where we have a very high tolerance for abuse without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I, I, But I think this notion of... Um, sort of having the the clarity to ask yourself the question, who gets to decide Mm -hmm. my worth, my okayness? Who gets to decide that? Is it that person? Is it that person? You know, would I really, of all the billions of people on the earth, would I really want to nominate that person to give them (laughs) to decide my worth? How about I just... Reclaim that. That's a great and question. Say, I'm the one that gets to decide my worth. Yeah. Because once we're, when we're embroiled in a relationship like that, we have given that power over. We have handed it over on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. And we need to take that back, reclaim so, that. So then, Liz, after, let's say, the separation has occurred, obviously yeah. now, the, the, and I hate to use the word victim, but the person, the other yeah. person in the relationship now yeah. has all this shit in their yeah. head. It's yeah. the trauma. It's the unlearning. It's the yeah. unbelieving. And, yeah. you know, trust is a huge issue. Who yeah. do I trust? Do I go into another relationship? Yeah. Um, you know, is is that person a narcissist? My heart was broken. I, yeah. you know, because even though others around can see this relationship, the person in it can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they 
literally have to go through, because when I was in a narcissistic relationship, because, and, and people like are surprised that I would be because I'm so outspoken and I'm so this, but they tapped into the very core of my own insecurity and my self-esteem and they played on that and they played on the guilt because I am such a big hearted loving person. It was, you know, they, they saw that I was a marshmallow in, in a way. And so I was like, huh, oh, oh. and then you become walking on eggshells. I don't want to do this because, oh, they'll verbally abuse me or they'll smack me. And it's it, it becomes this mind fuck that when you step out of it, the first thing you do is like, I'm going to be single my whole life. And if you were a lesbian, <laughs> the first thing you'd say is, I'm going so straight right now. I'm going to go straight. And I can't tell you how many lesbians have said, I'm going straight. Um, although I never would. But no the thing way. is, how do you, how do you, besides therapy, what work do you do on yourselves mm -hmm. to, to build yourself up? You know, you can sit there and go small, 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 but you know, it depends. I mean, how do you build yourself up when yeah. so many years you've been put down and, and, and you've lost your soul and you've lost your essence of who you are? Well, the, 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 um, uh, exciting way to think about that is that you get to start on the real path of, of, you know, healing and the real journey to, return to yourself and yeah therapy i mean i i forgot who said it but it's it's only one that's only one way to do this i mean there are it depends on who you are and what you respond to i mean i i obviously love talking therapy but one of my daughters is very much into um alternative forms of healing all sorts of somatic physical um, forms of I'm healing. going to Alaska over New Year's for somatic therapy. I'm great. crazy. Uh, no, it's cool. No, no it's, it's cool. great. Literally. I mean, I, great I think stuff. those are wonderful. <laughs> and so it just, you know, it's going to be different for different people. And some people, um, I, I don't know, it's just different. But if you commit to, to this path of growth and um, knowing yourself and confronting yourself and wanting to heal yourself, that's the most important thing. It really is. But Liz, I have a question. I'm sorry, Val. So you're out of a narcissistic relationship. Mm -hmm. You are now trying to, whatever you're trying to do to get back to center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that people who are in it will usually gravitate to other people that are narcissists because it's a familiar pattern yes, of behavior, whether as friends, whether as another partner, yeah. whether as whatever? Yeah. Of yeah. Course. I mean, it's, it's almost like, we have receptors mm -hmm. and um, until we do the work of changing ourselves, we will find people that, you know, that whose receptors fit our receptors. Exactly. And so I think that's absolutely right. If you don't do the work, you're gonna find somebody else, different outfit, but the same person, right? The same dynamics will get provoked in you. And the to same answer your feelings. question earlier, Gayanne, that you were talking about. I love your about. accent. Ooh. Oh, I know. My southern accent. I love it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I haven't even had a cocktail yet. I'm in trouble. Um, that, you know, the people, we have mutual friends yes. sitting at this table um, that... Because that's what lesbians do. We have mutual yeah, mutual friends. friends. Um, Why do they have friends? <laughs> your question was basically, how do you get out of it? You know, yeah. once you're out of that relationship, what do you do to yourself to yeah. to get better? Let's say. Yeah. I think being with those friends and giving them 
everything you can to make themselves feel good about themselves. And I've noticed a big difference in my friend mm. by calling and, and saying, you know, you're doing good and stay yes, strong yes. and let's get together and let's, you know. But the person on the, but that's with years and years of, of friendship. And, and, I, I, and I, and we all have friends that we are sisters or, or people who are like our brothers throughout our years. But, you know, it's really hard, I'm sure. Well, I know when I was in the narcissistic relationship, I didn't. I didn't tell anybody. Hey, yeah, I was yeah. fucking embarrassed. Well, he didn't yeah, know yeah, right. exactly. No, I knew. I saw the red flags. I started. Yeah. I watched the YouTube videos. I yeah. was. Oh, you, I said wow. you are. You were so fucked up. Um, to stay in that because that's not who you are. So part of it, part of my healing process was to not bash myself for falling into that. To yeah. understand that yes. I fell into it. Mm -hmm. I chose to stay because it was somehow yeah. in my head easier to stay because it was familiarity yeah. as opposed to breaking free. And yeah. so I didn't talk to a lot of people about it because here I am an executive. I've got 20,000 different things. I didn't want everyone to know that really I was kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a of, it's a lot of shame, right? That shame, they, yeah, uh, shame. You know, shame that we word, and it we keeps us silent, and it keeps us from having the support that is really necessary. Like you were saying, to have friends be able to buoy you up and support you. But then, yeah. when you're in the relationship, when your yeah. friends reach out to you, like in Cheryl's yeah. case, and I don't know what you've done or what you've said to your friend, yeah. you know, unless they're ready, yeah, you, you readiness, be, you become. Yeah. You become the, you the don't enemy. support my relationship. Yeah, you become right. the enemy. What's wrong with you? He's yeah. in love with me or she's in yeah. love with me. So, you know, you kind of have to give mm -hmm. those people, unfortunately, as much as it pains you because you yeah. love them, the space because right. unfortunately it is their journey. Yes. Well, yes. and I think you bringing so up the issues also, it perpetuates their shame. Yeah, right, so. exactly. And there's, I don't know, I, I don't understand what makes somebody ready. I, I, I think it's a really interesting notion, what goes into readiness. Um, it's you know, it's not just time. It's not, I, I don't understand. No. I think it's a fascinating thing. But I think that's exactly right, that a person's own process, when they're going to be ready, is out of our control as as outsiders mm -hmm. and you know uh, and as much as we love our friends yeah. um because mm -hmm. i do yeah you know and you want to see the best for them and it's so clear <laughs> to you you know you know, I, you know, I'm a fixer. I mean, I can't fix yeah. myself. When I'm in the shit, I can't fix myself. <laughs> right. But for other people, you know, you want to be the fixer. You want to be the because yeah. you. It's out of love. It's out mm -hmm. of really love, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes. If you love them, you just have to step back. Right. Well, right. yeah. And, and also, yeah. Um, I one of the most important things I learned when I was actually going to Codependence Anonymous, because I didn't have any addiction problems like on a substance or anything, but I was I did want to go into Codependence Anonymous and I read Melanie Beattie's book and all that because I really wanted to, you know, I, I knew I was not my full independent self. Uh, one of the most important things that I learned was that I question myself when I start to get all like she needs to do this and I love her so much if she only did this. Mm -hmm. I always pull back and go, are you God, Mara? Like, do you know? <laughs> because Mara, do you know what's best for everyone? Because it's all about the ego. Yeah. And yeah. I sat there the other day and thought, God, I have a fucking huge ego. Much like what you said, because who the hell do I think yes. I am that right. I'm the great fixer? Yes. Then I it's look like in the mirror and go, 
I got shit to fix on myself. That's right. How can I fix anybody else? But the reason why I spend so much time fixing other people is you don't want to look within. Because it's painful. It's you have to uncover shit. But can I say it's painful, but you know that the other side, when you come out the other side, after dealing with it and delving in as deep as you can, it's Fucking hard, I'll tell you that much. But you know what? It is so worth it, it when is. you get to the other side. But that's the it thing. So I mean, that's why good friends will tell you: read this book, watch this, because they love you, and they—it's this unconditional that's okay. love. That's okay to offer suggestions. Offer suggestions yeah. is fine, but you can't go in there and you go can't live yeah. their life. For no, them. no, <laughs> not at all. I don't want to live anybody's <laughs> life. I got enough time living my own. But I mean, but it is that pattern of you know because we're em- empathic. It is that, and with an ego too, but it's that, oh my God, you know, I want to help. You know, yeah. it's that always wanting to come in and, and rescue and help. Mm-hmm. And, but if someone's not in a place or they're not. It's not your place. But, I, I, look. But I know I agree with everything you said. Look, as a friend, I can, if you ask me for advice, I would give you advice. Yes. But if you're not ready to hear the advice, even though you're asking for it. Then what happens? Well, then, yeah, that's... That's well, a different story. I mean, we can have a million fucking yeah. scenarios yeah, here. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. all, we're all old. We're all old <laughs> at this table. Well, sometimes we don't look at other people because we're loyal to them and we just don't want to see it. Yes. Oh, you mean like... We don't like want to tell don't... anyone and we don't want to see it because we're loyal. <clears throat> well, and the loyal? one thing that my ex said that stuck in my head is... I want your help, I'll ask for it. Yeah, right. And so every time now I'm like, wow, okay, don't <laughs> offer, don't <laughs> offer, don't <laughs> offer. But yeah, right. it's hard. It's not our yeah, job to save anyone. It's no. not our job to um, direct people down the right path because then you take away their journey. You don't know what their journey in life is supposed to be. And so you got to let the hardest thing to do is to watch somebody who's making either going on a downward spiral or making mistakes or making mistakes and just let them do it. It is mm-hmm. so, so hard, hard because mm-hmm. there's this voice in you or there's this this irrational belief that if you could just make them do this or that and talk about like when you really want to say someone like if they're the rock bottom alcoholics, you know. Yeah. And and to have to step back and say I am it's not on me right. to save them and show them the way that's mm-hmm. really hard mm-hmm. and huge self-love act to do mm-hmm. I've got a couple of um, a couple of things that I think about when I think about stuff like this one is that I always imagine a <laughs> for some reason the UPS guy coming to my door and knocking and having a package mm. and handing the package towards me and I have to say, wait a second, is this my package or not? Oh. Am I going to accept delivery on this package or not? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's a moment of decision, right? <laughs> and, and the other thing is the word take because often I'll think like, I, I, can't, I don't want to take responsibility for somebody and that word take, I think, is really powerful because I, it, it's like robbing them of something that is theirs, you know? Mm. It's, 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 it's an aggression, really, to take responsibility for somebody mm-hmm. like that. So I try to think of that when I have the impulse, you know, which I think is a natural impulse with people that you love and care about mm. to, you know, want to fix or, you know, make it better or whatever. But but um, those concepts are right always in the back of my mind. So as a 
psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what is the most common thing from all your clients that, that it, like, what's the biggest issue with most of your clients? Oh boy. They got too much money. Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> uh, what do you charge, baby? <laughs> Not like your therapist. I don't charge as much as your therapist, Gay. Oh, okay. sorry. This is California. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I could say that what the most common subject matter is, but I, I think the most common challenge is, well, one of the most common challenges is letting go. Mm. And um, there are so many times and places and examples of how we need to let go and how hard it is to let go. Um, So I don't know if you guys if that resonates for you, but, um, uh, yeah, Big <laughs> I mean, I, I'll often just suggest, and I do this myself just to have that as a meditation, just say it over and over and over to yourself, let go, let go, mm. let go. I can feel it in my body. If I close my eyes mm. and and repeat that to myself, um, slowly, I can feel a release in my body. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, can't. there's I so much that we hold it. on to. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. That's just, gorgeous. Idea. Mara said she doesn't know how you did it. Well, well you I, do can't, it. I can't just, uh, I mean, maybe it just takes practice. But for yeah. me, I, I need to, I feel like I need to, like, go into that rage room they offer and throw, throw like, yeah. vases at the wall and, you know, let go that way. Because sometimes I yeah. don't feel like just let go, let go. It just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Well, I don't, but I don't think let go. Ha- you just go sit there and go let go. And it, oh, God, like <laughs> magically it's over. I think you got to say let go a few more fucking times. Well, you know, time helps let go times. of things. But yeah, it's it's like a, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, learning to play tennis or learning to speak French or anything like that is that it just takes Practice. a lot, a lot, a lot of rehearsal. To, like you were guys were saying to retrain your brain. Mm-hmm. And um, it just takes a lot of rehearsal. It takes not being good at it. It takes stumbling. It takes, you know, just not feeling like you're failing or whatever. It just, it's it's a practice. So I have a question. Al-Anon, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I've, I've been thinking. Now, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I, none of that stuff. But what's your take on these kind of groups like Al-Anon and the codependency yeah. groups? And do you think yeah. that's really truly beneficial on the whole i think they can be great Mm -hmm. i mean they're amazing they can be an amazing community for people Mm -hmm. and very validating and um really can counteract shame the shame we were talking about before because you can feel so um freakish when you don't realize that nine thousand trillion other people you know, are experiencing the same thing. So I think they can be incredibly powerful and validating and um, supportive communities. I do think it's possible for people to get sort of addicted to the addiction groups. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
So, you know, that's something to like keep Like their version of a meetup. <laughs> at, least that's a, <laughs> that's a, at least that's a healthy addiction, Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Because I, mean, I don't know what's the harm in it, really. Right. You know, but, well, you but, know what's speak- hard? Oh, sorry. No, sorry. Go. What's hard about that group, um, about Al-Anon, um, why I went to CODA instead of codependence instead of Al- mm-hmm. But I did both because mm-hmm. I had an alcoholic okay. in my life, too. But what was hard for me in Al-Anon is that all these people would share their stories of their alcoholic mm. that they're trying to and their behavior that the alcoholic is doing but I was in there and I and I was also trying to apply this to people I knew that weren't alcoholics they were oh. just mentally weird <laughs> ill and so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't blame it on alcohol or yeah. anything so that's yeah. that's why I wanted that's why I was hoping that in codependence anonymous and it didn't focus so much on the substance they were abusing, but more that we admitted that we cannot, uh, we're powerless over mm-hmm. other people. And yeah. and I love mm-hmm. the, and if I could just say from my experience with the 12 yes, steps. Yes, please, say. I will say this. <laughs> that it, um, it puts the focus, you go in there thinking all about this other person that you're going to, you know, uh, you're obsessed with whatever you, you know, is out of your control. And it always brings the focus back to you. Like, it's well, it has secret. to, you have because to if turn you it think about you. it, if you have yeah. all yeah. these succession of relationships mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. friendships, you know, there's one fucking common yes, denominator. Exactly. Right. It's you. Yes, yeah, exactly. So exactly. instead of worrying about them, yes. work on fucking you and see what are your triggers? Why are you drawn to yeah. that? But I have another question. And now you get the now you get the hands. Um, now you get the Italian in me. The, um, how much do you think in being in the mental health profession, pre-internet to post-internet? Do you see because people are much more isolated and stuff now? Before you'd go out, you'd, you'd now everyone's isolated and the suicide rate is higher and the depression rate is higher. Or is it because it's so accessible out there for people to vomit all their mm-hmm. personal stuff in anonymity that yeah. it's all coming to light? Have you seen a shift in how people deal with their their depression and all this other stuff with the advent of internet? Um. Uh, well, I in, I don't think I have in my practice so much. I mean, there are people are talking more a fair amount about you you know comparing their themselves to the fake lives of people that they see on Instagram or you oh. know Facebook or something where most fake people book. just want to yeah. <laughs> and so there's that dynamic where more people are saying that they're feeling like. You know, they've got sucky lives because they're not compared to so-and-so who's, Mm. you know, always doing something amazing. (laughs) So more of that. But I mean, I have to say that in my office here, this is my office. I'm talking to you. (laughs) And how Um, much do you charge? (laughs) (laughs) And can we have a Skype session since it's cheaper than my chick? (laughs) Um, I I don't see a lot of difference. I mean, the, the issues are pretty much the people's pain and their, you know, deep down struggles have been pretty consistent over the 40 years I've been working. Can we go back a little bit further before the internet to violent video games and see if you see a difference between like... Well, let's go back to the cavemans where they used to just hit each other (laughs) the fucking head. I really really do think that violent video games, the start of violent video games is why we're seeing all these massive shooters. Okay, I disagree. I'm sorry. Okay, I work in television, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know... 
you know, all of a sudden there's a mass shooting and they blame it on this TV show. Mm -hmm. And that's a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, people innately for me have this in their body. Mm -hmm. And and nothing can influence someone who's a sick fuck that at some point in their life is going to go get this. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a gun in his high school or a Mm -hmm. gun here, Mm -hmm. and this is my opinion, my opinion only, not the Mm -hmm. station that I work for, is you already have an issue Mm -hmm. and you're not addressing it. So no TV show, no video game is going to make you do something because anybody who doesn't have that inclination, I, who have seen a lot in my life, never at one fucking point in my life ever thought I was going to pick up a goddamn gun right. and go shoot people. Mm-hmm. What I think it just unfortunately does. And is- that's passion. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> It just desensitizes. Exactly. It, it just it glamorizes and desensitizes. Exactly, and so, that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. yeah, it makes it the norm. Yeah, and, and and the Jersey City shooting that just happened that that's my, my uh, that's my that, side I of didn't town. Hear of that. I, you know, that's, my my there. nephew and I were there actually, and we were lucky to miss our boat to the Thanks. Statue I, of Liberty. When did this happen? Oh my it god, was December tenth. Really? December tenth. So we were there, but but these guys actually wa- were sitting. They were part of a Facebook group, and they were together watching videos uh, on mass shootings before they came out and oh, planned terrible, this. So terrible. I mean, like. To say that well, there's yeah. no influence is, I, I still don't think so. I think and we agree to disagree. Oh, for okay? sure. For agree sure. to disagree. I, I love you no matter. Yeah, yeah, But for you're sure. wrong. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, th- the, thing about the, the thing about the internet is, is that it, it provides an opportunity for like-minded people to connect. That's what I was going to say. Right. It gives them attention. It puts them mm-hmm. out there. It makes them, like, famous. And they're, you know, it, it gives them all the bad guys' attention mm-hmm. that they want. Mm-hmm. If the media didn't cover all this all the time, it would probably be, you know... Well, the the media isn't the media anymore. Even the legit media has become a little I'm full of shit. Yeah. Um, much media anymore. Yeah, because it's all about numbers and ratings. And again, yeah, this yeah. is my yeah. opinion and not the opinion of the station. <laughs> <that I live>. <laughs> 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 but in any event, Liz, it, it's yes. our time. Believe it or not, the hour and a half has passed. Amazing. Wow. And Good. I just want to thank you for giving us some insight um, to everything, to, your, to, to letting us... Mm. Um, allow us into that portion of your life um, that, you know, you obviously are a survivor. And oh. and and this book, this never happened, a memoir, um, you know, is your testimony. It is, it is your sort of blueprint for other people that are going through what you're going through. Because it isn't about the exact situations. It's about the trauma. And so I appreciate you doing this book and people buy this book. Um, I now will read it. Um, <laughs> she won't. I'm not a liar. I'm She's not a, fu- not a reader. I look, I don't fucking lie. She's I can't help it. I, 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 I would, if I, even if I try to lie, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you being such a champion. Mm-hmm. And um, and I applaud you for doing a book Brave. like this. I have one Brave. question. When did you find out you were Jewish? How old were you? Huh. Oh, I was in my early 30s. Can you believe that? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's in the book. That's a whole you, other story. What did you wow. think you were before? Well, we got dragged to the Congregational Church on Christmas and Easter. Oh, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. So. In, the, in, the sta- in the stained uh, Laura Ashley's? Yes, yeah, exactly. Right, okay. In the little bonnet, and you know. Yeah, because you um, look, you look so that. Don't I? Don't I? <laughs> Well, I mean, we really. wish you were here because we have crackers. Oh, okay. This is oh, these are English paper. things called crackers. Crackers. Yep. So what you should do is you have to like cross your arms. Oh, and oh. It's not going to be easy. Okay. Uh, take it. Can we just smash it? 
Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. This is not gonna fucking work. It's not gonna work. You do with gas. How do you do? I don't even know what the fuck you do. I don't know what. So we pull. Three. Pull that one. Pull. 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 Have a good night. Have a great weekend. Everyone, this is our Christmas episode of Between the Sheets and such an uplifting topic. Um, (laughs) But I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, We're on the first and third Friday of every month. I want to thank Val Milano for coming and we hope you come back. The Hollywood Times. The Hollywood Times. Um, We're first and third. So um, in January, the First, the first, the first Friday of um, I'm going to be trying to get someone. I haven't. I won't say her name. Well, fuck it. Kelly Gilliam. Um, we know her also as Max Mecca. We are going to be talking about human trafficking. But she ha- again, yet another uplifting mm-hmm. show for the yeah. beginning of the new year. And then the I'll third the cookies. Yes, and the third we're going to have a friend of mine who's a psychologist. Um, and we're going to be discussing secrets, lies, and betrayal. Um, upcoming. Um, Cindy Lauper will be in the house, Woo! and and Gayan is going to be working on getting a lot more fun people to join us. And um, if you have any suggestions, hit us up me me on Facebook. Um, thank you so much. Again, we are all a part of you. It's all about unity. It's all about a circle. And I will continue to say this going into 2020: no gossiping, no backbiting. Don't do it. Just fucking shut it down because you become an accomplice. We're done. Move forward only with love and light. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Cheers. Happy New Year. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Liz. Happy, Happy, Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.